Um, if you weren't here like a couple of weeks ago, um, Daniel Ellercon did a study on, on basically that song. And it is a powerful, powerful study. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, it was that weekend be, or that week be, between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, Daniel Ellercon got, uh, he shared, and it was just an amazing study. And so I encourage you to go on our, our website and listen to it. It was on the 29th of December. And uh, just a powerful, powerful study. And uh, just a good, good reminder, man, of how loved you are. And um, every time I hear that song, I just get uh, so blessed and reminded of uh, who he is and who we are. And uh, I just love that. And so if you will, turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 as we continue in our Old Testament studies. Um, as you find your way over there, we're going to cover the whole chapter. There's a lot of um, a lot to cover. And um, chapter 18 has, uh, has got to be one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, as far as I'm concerned. It is, it is probably on par with the, the, the story of David and Goliath type, you know, that a lot of people refer to. And I think maybe David and Goliath might be a little bit more popular, but, but this chapter right here is just an epic chapter. I just hope I can do it some justice as I share it with you, but it's just a powerful um, chapter on on who God is and the challenge that we have um, to really just go all out for Him, and um, and so I'm excited to to share this. I don't know how long it's going to go. I'm, uh, I'm starting right right away because uh, there's a lot to cover this this evening, and so. Uh, beginning in verse 1, we'll, um, we'll break it in, into parts, and uh, we'll get through it eventually. It says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hid them, 50 in a cave, and had fed them, with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we may not, or that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Let's stop right there for for just a while. We know from the verses that we from from the verse that that, that we just kind of looked at the first two verses that it had been 3 years since Elijah 
had said that there would be no rain except at his word. In, in, in chapter 17, verse 1, when he comes on the scene, basically out of nowhere, right? He comes out, out, out basically from nowhere and comes to this wicked king, Ahab, and he begins to tell him what God has said, that there will be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now again, I don't know if Ahab knew him or did not know him. It doesn't tell us that they had any conversations before. Maybe he was known. I don't know, except that now he is in front of this king. And he does, he's not afraid of the king because he tells us who he stands before. He stands before the Lord. And so it is to his master that he stands or falls. Now I'm sure he respected the king for his position, but he had a word from the Lord for him. And he tells him that there will be no rain. And from there, Elijah leaves. Doesn't give, it, give him any more detail, it seems like. But he leaves. At that time that he left, as we learned last week, the Lord showed himself so strong. Elijah's life, man, was, was just an amazing life. Even just what we read last week. And how God provided for him in some unusual ways. You see, he had probably met up with him in Samaria. He had come from the east side of Jordan. And so when he leaves, he goes back to the east side of Jordan to some brook. And God told him to go over there and I'll take care of you. And he had the ravens coming by every morning and every evening to give him bread and meat. Unbelievable. For about a year that takes place. That God just took care of them. Every morning, every evening, man, there's some birds bringing some food, some bread, some berries, some whatever it is. And the brook just sustained him until the brook went dry. And from there, it was at that time, about a year into it, that he told him to go some 80 miles up by Tyre, up, up to Phoenicia, up in that area, to, to a place that, that, that uh, was called Zarephath. And it was there, when he got there, that, that God had already told them, when you get there, you're going to look for a widow. And she's going to take care of you, basically. And it's interesting because that's another unlikely source of revenue, because usually widows were the poorer of the bunch. And yet he says, I want you to go to her, and she's going to take care of you. And we went through the whole story of how, how God just provided miraculously for them. I mean, when he meets up with her, he finds her and he says, hey, give me a drink of water. And, she, and, and so she's going to go do it and say, oh, by the way, give me something to eat. And she's going, um, I'm going to go, I'm picking up some sticks right now because I got a little bit of, of, of flour and I got a little bit of oil. I'm going to go make some food and me and my son are going to die. All right. Well, before you die, make me something to eat basically is what he says. And so in that whole time, for about two years, every day, she'd go back and there was flour and there was oil in the jar. Every day. And God provided miraculously for him. All the while, there's a famine that has been going on in Samaria area, in central Israel area. There hasn't been water 
for a year, two years, going on, third, on their third year. And things are getting desperate. And now, after all of that, it says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Not that the word of the Lord had not come to him throughout these three years. Because again, God was providing and telling him where to go, what to do, how to do it. He, he showed up in different ways and different situations. But now it's time to go back to the king. King Ahab, this wicked king. Now, I don't know if, if Elijah had ever caught wind of the fact that King Ahab was out looking for him. As, as we'll see later, he was in fact hunting for him. He was out looking for him. Again, he never told him why there, was never going to be, there wasn't going to be any rain. He just told him no rain until I say, and he leaves, and, and nothing else seems to be said. But the Lord wanted him to go back to present himself to this wicked king. Now, along with that command that he gives him, he also is sending him with the promise that he would be sending the rain that was badly needed. Three and a half years now. And it tells us there was a severe famine in Samaria. Elijah's obedience here is, is amazing to me. Because for all this time, he has been seeing God work miraculously in his life. Again, he is considered one of the greatest prophets. He's, he's on the scene now. But he's basically exiled or, or hiding out. But God has just been, been providing and ministering to him and taking care of him. And he says, okay, now it's time to go back to present yourself to this king. Now, again, I don't know what their conversations used to be like if there was ever. If they knew each other, but he knew that, that um, Ahab was a wicked king. And so for him to leave what he has and go to a place where he's going, I don't know how this guy's going to, I, I don't know how he's going to, to welcome me <laughs> with a hug or a knife or, I, I, I don't know, Lord. And again, sometimes we're put in situations that we know that God's taking care of us, right? And all of a sudden he goes, oh yeah, and I need you to go back to, and you're going, I came from there, Lord. There's nothing but wickedness there. I don't know if I want to go back there, man. There are a bunch of heathens. And he's going, but what if I'm telling you and asking you and commanding you to go back? And I have a promise for those guys. And I'm going to use you to do it. Because sometimes we're thinking like, Lord, you couldn't possibly be asking me to do something like that. Not to put me in a hard situation like that because I don't know how the welcome is going to be in my life if I return or I go back to these people that I've kind of burnt some bridges, you know? I've, I've kind of made it hard for them. And now you're asking me to go back, Lord. But there's a command from the Lord and there's a promise. And he is to go back. Elijah was not the one that had caused the famine. He really wasn't. But it almost seemed to like Ahab and all the people as we're going to read that he's the man. He's the one that started this whole thing. And it's like, no, he didn't. And he knows that. Elijah knows that. 
And it's almost like, okay, I know that I said at my word, but I can say my word right now and you can do it over there if you want, Lord. But that's not what the Lord wanted for him. He wanted obedience from him to go back to this king and present himself. And to tell him that the rain was coming. And so in verse 3 to, to 6, we, we see that now Ahab had called Obadiah to... to we, we, we need to go find some more greenery, basically. Now, this Obadiah is not the Obadiah that has the book named after him in the Bible. That Obadiah would come from the southern kingdom a few years later. This Obadiah is different. There, there, there are 12 Obadiahs in the Old Testament or in the Bible. And this one happened to be... Uh, Kind of a governor, kind of an overseer, if you will, to Ahab's palace and or palaces or areas. He, he, he was someone that was close to, to, to Ahab. Which means that, that Ahab really trusted this man. Which is interesting given the fact that it tells us that that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. You almost kind of cock your head a little bit and it's like, what? He was like a right-on brother working for this wicked, ugly king? How is that even possible? Because we know in, in, in that next verse that, that the king's wife just totally hates people of God, prophets of God. And he's, she's massacring them. She's getting rid of them as fast as they come on the scene or however it happens. But she's going after these people. And yet we have this man, Obadiah, who is basically the right-hand man to the king. So much so that, that when push comes to shove and, and they're kind of at their wit's end and they need to go find more greenery, that, that it's only him and Obadiah. The king and Obadiah. And he's going, hey, bro, I need your help, man. It's, it's me and you. And I'm thinking, man, they, had must, they must have been in desperate straits right now. Because now the king is not ordering people, hey, go look for some more greenery. He's going, I'll, I'll go out there too. I'll go do what I got to go do. But I just find it interesting that this, this prophet, or not the prophet, this, this governor, uh, Obadiah, that, that he's that close with the king. Now, I don't know if the king knows all the dealings that Obadiah is doing. Maybe on his private time. That he goes to church. He takes care of prophets. Hundreds of them. He feeds them bread and water. And there's a famine going on right now. It's not a great situation, but he has hidden these people. And I don't know, on his spare time, he goes and takes care, takes care of them. And, 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 you know, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, this is just amazing to me. Because many of us have or are working in areas that we have bosses that are just wicked or mean or whatever it is. And yet you're like the favorite in the company or you're the top dog in the company. And people are look at you as like, how could you stand that guy? That guy's just evil and that, that guy's just, and, 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 and you're a God-fearing man and yet you do everything he tells you to do and he kind of likes you and he kind of trusts you. 
And I think oftentimes we look at a situation like that and we're going, Obadiah, why would you even be around this guy? But it's interesting because Obadiah trusts him, or, or Ahab trusts him. And as wicked as, as Ahab is, it's, it's kind of interesting that he needed somebody that he could trust. <laughs> he didn't need somebody that was just as wicked as him. <laughs> he couldn't trust him. <laughs> he needed a godly man next to him. And I just thought that was fascinating. I was like, Lord, that, that, is, that is amazing because we have a guy like, like Elijah who's just bold, who's just out there, who's just like, tells it like it is and, and, and miracles are happening and all this stuff and, and you're going, man, that's, that's like a man of God. And it's like, no, there's a man of God that hangs around with his boss and kind of does stuff on the side, like goes to church and goes feeds the homeless pastors that are <laughs> in the caves and and he's doing all these little things. And I, I love that because there's people that are up front that you're going, man, God just uses them mightily. And then there's other people that they're going, I, I, I don't do much. I just kind of take care of all the king's palace and do all that kind of stuff. I just do my job. And yet that guy is trusted by the king who is very wicked. And I just think, Lord, that's, that's interesting how you do that in our lives, to put us in situations where, where we might think, man, I just wish I worked with a lot of Christians. I wish I had this godly environment, because he didn't have that. Matter of fact, that guy's wife, she wants to kill all the people that he supports. People like him, he, she wants to kill. And yet, for some reason, God has him there. Now, I, I don't know, and I kind of asked this question um, to myself as I was looking at this, that, that it tells us that he feared God. And it also tells us that Jezebel was murdering or, or massacring all these prophets of God. And he took care of all of those things. And I know that it's in parentheses in my Bible. And I'm thinking, well, is it in parentheses because that's who he was, but King Ahab really didn't even know all that? Or his wife didn't know all that of what was going on? Was he just kind of like this closet Christian, that the secret saint that just kind of you know, it didn't talk much about his, his faith or anything, and that's why it's in parentheses. Or did they really did know? They, they, they did know all about him, but they just trusted him. And it's like, we can't get rid of this guy. Nor are you going to kill him, honey. You're not going to kill this guy, man. He's my right hand man. But it almost reminded me of the relationship between Herod and John the Baptist. If you, if you remember the story, there was this, this respect that Herod had for, 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 for John the Baptist. And it was his wife that couldn't stand him. And it was the wife, basically, that had him beheaded. But, but when we look at, at, at Ahab, he kind of seemed like to be a, a, a nicer guy when his wife wasn't around. Um, you know, it's like, he didn't want to kill the prophets of God. You know, he knew who God was. And maybe, maybe he had this conviction deep down inside of who God really is, but he has to like take care of his wife and build a temple for Baal and, and do all this stuff. And, and so I, 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 I'm just asking these questions and I'm, as I'm looking at a guy like Elijah, looking at a guy like Ahab, and then looking at, at a guy like Obadiah and thinking, man, there's all kinds of different people. And sometimes God puts people in front and sometimes he just has people in the background. They just go through the motions and do what they got to do. But I could guarantee you Obadiah was a great 
light in this wicked palace because he was a man of God. He feared God. And I don't know how much he spoke or didn't speak, but we know from the word of God that he was a man who feared God and he took care of, of, of the people of God in that sense. And yet he worked for these wicked people. And, and, and so he tells, Ahab tells Obadiah, hey, we, we, we need to go look at the springs and all the brooks. We, we need to find some greenery here. Again, the situation was so bad that the king is out there himself and they're all looking for greenery for the animals. And it, it almost seems like he's not even worried about the people. He's worried about the animals, about the, the horses and the donkeys or, or the mules. Well, he had to keep those up because of the army that he had to, you know, that, that, that was his fighting army. You know, he had to keep those. But I'm sure the people were suffering as well, but we don't hear that he had this big, huge compassion for them, and he, it could be. But in verse 7, it says, Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, is that you, my Lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned <laughs> that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they say, or when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go, to your, go tell your master Elijah is here. And this shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, am your, but I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 of the Lord's prophets, 50 in a cave, and fed them bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now this meeting between Elijah and Obadiah is pretty interesting. Obadiah had, had no intentions on going and hunting or looking for Elijah. And the fact that he just kind of shows up suddenly again. I was listening to a guy, it's like, man, does this guy just like appear, disappear? How was it? Because even, even Obadiah is going, I know as soon as I turn my back, you're going to be gone. So again, it's like, who is this guy? 
Who is this guy Elijah that God just uses in powerful ways? Because I wonder if God just kind of transformed him and put him right there, right on the road, and Elijah's going, where am I at? Oh, hey, what's up, man? And they just kind of meet. And it just kind of happens. Because suddenly, he is there. Out of nowhere. Now, Obadiah says that he recognized him and fell on his face and said to him, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? I I don't know if Obadiah was on the scene when Elijah had prophesied three years earlier that there would be no rain. He, he, He probably was. We don't know. It doesn't mention him any time before this. But he pays Elijah all the respect possible by calling him my Lord. So he knew who he was. He recognized him. And after all the formalities, it says in verse 8 that Elijah said to him, It is I. Go tell your master. Elijah is here. (laughs) And I love the fact that Even after all of this, Obadiah was looking at him going, "Mm -mm, I can't. For two reasons. Because as soon as I turn around, you're going to be gone. And if I go and tell him that I've seen you and we can't find you, he's going to kill me. So I can't. (laughs) You've got to go with me or however we've got to do this because there's no way I'm going to take my eyes off of you. Again, it already seemed like a miracle that you're here, but God can take you out as quick as possible because it's almost like he knew Elijah and he knew the Lord. And maybe knew the reputation of Elijah and how maybe they heard how God was taking I don't know. But I love his response. It's great. How have I sinned? How, I, what did I ever do to deserve this? Why would you tell me to go back and you know and I know that he's that wicked that he would even kill me, a trusted friend? He didn't want to take his eyes off of Elijah. Obadiah goes on to tell Elijah all that had happened since he had been gone and the fact that the king was hunting him down. Now, I'm sure that Elijah meant no harm to Obadiah. I don't think he was, he was that kind of a guy. But Obadiah let him know all that had been done to the prophets of God. And, and I'm wondering if he's thinking, he goes, didn't you hear what I've done? Don't you know who I am? And, and I don't know, Elijah's been gone. He's, he's been with his widow and do, doing all this stuff. So he's probably going, I, I haven't heard anything of who you are, what you've done. I I don't know anything. But this guy lets him know, this is what the Lord's been doing in my life. And this is the way the Lord's been using me. I know the Lord uses you in amazing ways, but this is the way the Lord is using me. And I love the fact that they have this conversation, this dialogue here. The the, the fact that, or the monologue, no, dialogue. Yeah, they have this dialogue. They have this conversation. And you have this, this great 
prophet who, who will be one of the greatest prophets. And you have this guy who's basically a nobody, and he's able to share with him, this is what God's doing in my life. It might not be as, as spectacular what God is doing with you, but with me, I was kind of stoked that God uses me the way he's using me. But he does remind him, but you're telling me, go tell him, and he's going to kill me. And I don't think he feared death. I really don't. I just don't think he wanted to die um, by some irate king over something that he had no control over. <laughs> you want to kill me because I'm taking care of the priests or the prophets. That, that's one thing. But, but you're going to want to kill me because I can't go find Elijah again? Come on. And so I don't think that Elijah was unreasonable. But I'm glad that Obadiah had this time to, to explain to him the situation. And he says, <clears throat> Elijah says to him, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, you will make it to the top of life. Elijah gives him his word. Hey, I will present myself to him today. There's no way God's going to take, take me away. I give you my word. And I thought that's the way it should be. When anybody, that any of God's people give their word, that they keep to it. I just thought that was important to share. That Elijah makes this guy comfortable enough to where he says, throw me the rope. No. Um, anyways, he, 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 it's a Princess Bride thing, if you guys don't know. It's like, he makes him comfortably, comfortable enough to say, I'll be right back. I'm going to go speak to my king. And we'll be back to see you. And in verse 17 to 19, it says, Now when then it happened, when Ahab saw... Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. As, as this meeting now is set and, and, it, and it, they come together, the first thing out of Ahab's mouth is, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Again, he, he is blaming him for all that has happened in his country, for these last three and a half years, he says, you are the one that caused this. You are the one that, 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 that spoke it. And now it's come to pass, and it's your fault, and nothing but your fault. And I'm thinking, isn't that the case? You know, as, as I was looking at this, one of the commentators said, well, he was in good company, Elijah is. Because Jesus and, and Paul were both called troublemakers. In Luke 23, 4 and 5, it says, So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were all the more fierce, saying, 
he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. What a troublemaker Jesus is. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 19 and 20, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Elijah had no, no problem telling him who truly is the troublemaker of Israel. He says, you and your father's house have brought this whole thing upon the nation of Israel. His father was a wicked man. And as we learned a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Ahab was the worst of all the worst. Not just worshiping other gods, but bringing in other gods and building temples for the Baals. He says, you are the one that has caused this. You see, when he left, he didn't tell them, hey, this is why there's not going to be any rain. But as I shared with you, I think last week, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it talks about here's the curses, or here's the blessings, here's the curses. And when you do the, the, the things that are being disobedient, then I will shut up the heavens from your place. And so he reminds him of this, that it was you. You stopped obeying the word of the Lord, his commandments, and you have followed after other gods. And disobedience has consequences. Oh, in the beginning, it might not look that bad, or you might not feel the consequences, but continual disobedience eventually brings you to a place that now the consequences are upon you. Because for years, for a couple hundred years, the, the, the northern kingdom was, was serving other gods, was doing all these things and, and causing people to follow after them. And a few hundred years later, all of a sudden, here's the consequences. And it's upon you, Ahab. You had every opportunity to change the whole system, but you continued in that same cycle as the rest of your fathers and your people. And you never realized that it was sin, or you realized it was sin, but did not care about it. You're the troubler of Israel. And so now that he makes him understand what's going on, Elijah calls for all Israel to come together on Mount Carmel, including all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah. Baal was the male figure, Asherah was a female figure. And both of these gods came from the Phoenician area from where Jezebel was from, from Tyre and Sidon and those areas. And they were supposed to be the gods that controlled the weather, the harvest, all these kinds of things. And nothing has been happening for three and a half years. And he says, why don't you call all, the, all those guys together? And we'll all meet over on Mount, Mount Carmel. And, 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 and he, he mentions that, that they, he wanted to gather them in that place because it was the perfect place, because it was kind of like a meeting place or, or a, a middle ground, if you will. Mount Carmel is located like on the border of Israel and Phoenicia, which is what we would call modern-day Lebanon area. So it's in that area right there. And it was a good place for the Phoenician gods to come and meet Jehovah. 
because you had the Phoenician God area and Jehovah down here, and it was a great place for them to meet. Now, the meeting didn't seem to last too long. I could only imagine that as Elijah tells him, hey, I need all of Israel gathered together and bring those other cats with them and everybody, and let's meet at Mount Carmel. And I could just see him walking away. And they have going, doing this again? And so in verse 20, It says, so Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Again, Mount Carmel is right off the Mediterranean Sea. It's the highest point in that region, in that area. And there's a a mountain range that goes for about 30 miles that goes kind of southeast. And from there, you could could see the the Valley of Megiddo and you could see all the way over to Mount Tabor, way over on the other side, getting closer to, to Galilee area. But it's a beautiful sight because on one side, you could see the ocean. On one side, on the other side, you could see this beautiful valley. It's a beautiful place to be. And it was a, a great place for them to meet. It laid before, again, uh, Israel and Phoenicia. And it was a great sight for the people that worship Baal. Because the Phoenicians, they knew that that area, Mount Carmel, was a sacred dwelling place of Baal. And so, in other words, it was Baal's home court advantage. And so I'm sure that they thought, man, this is, we're, we're a shoo-in. We're on our ground. This is where Baal is exalted. This is where he basically dwells. And yet, Elijah had no worries at all. He's the one that kind of brings this challenge. You see, he knew that their God was nothing. He knew that. He knew that there was no power in this Baal. He knew that. As much as these people were worshiping and, 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 and giving their all to, to the Baals, he knew that they were nothing. Elijah called all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? The word falter in the Hebrew means to pass over, to skip, to limp, be lame, to hesitate, 
to dance, halt, leap. He says, how long? How long will you do this? How long will you be lame in this? How long will you hesitate in making a decision as to who is God? How long will you dance with this opinion that you have of yours? In other words, he's saying, how long will you play both sides of the fence? How long will you be on the wall? How long will you, will you walk down the middle of the road and not choose a side? How long do you want it to be both ways? Because you can't have it both ways. And so he kind of calls the people and he challenges the people. How long are you going to do this? It's interesting because Moses and Joshua both had the same basic challenge to the people that they were over. In Exodus 20, uh, 32, verse 26, it says, Then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And he challenged them. In Joshua in 20, uh, 24, 15, it says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which, were, uh, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land uh, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so several times the children of Israel have been challenged because they, they faltered. They, they, they went this way and they went that way. They vacillated in their opinion. Who is God? They wondered. Who is God? And, and, and they had seen God do miraculous things throughout their history. And they're still vacillating. They're still dancing with the idea of going this way or that way. They're, they're just thinking, well, I just want to be in the middle of the road. And it's like, no, he, they're, 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 he, he's making them make a decision. And so he calls for this definite mis, uh, decision on their part. But it says the people kept silent. They were speechless. Now, was that because of their guilt? <laughs> or because they wanted to see what would happen first? Which God's going to bring down fire? How about if we just kind of play it cool still? Because we're not, still not ready to make that decision. And even in their quietness, because they weren't con truly convinced yet, it seems. Elijah says, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Now, he's not discounting the hundred that, that, that Obadiah was taking care of. He's not discounting. He's just saying, here I am, one man. And Baal has 450 prophets. It's basically 400 to 1. That's what it is. And yet Elijah was okay with that. He was totally okay with that. Because he knew that he still had them beat. Now it's interesting because he begins to, to share with them this challenge here. And he sets before them the rules and he lets them go first. You choose. You choose the bull. You do whatever you have to do to bring down fire from heaven. You call on your God and you do it all day long. Whatever you got to do, I'll give you all the time in the world to do whatever you have to do so that there won't be no 
no excuses. At the end of the day, there will be no excuses. Everybody will know who's God. He, he knew. That's how much he trusted in his God. That's how much he trusted. He was that confident that God would come through, to him, through for him. And it's interesting because oftentimes when we are vacillating between what, God, what we know of God and yet because our situation, we're on this end over here and we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're, we're in a famine basically and we're going, well, I don't know if God's going to come through. And yet God always comes through. Because what you're trusting on this end, even in the weather or whatever, is like, no, you trust God, not the weather. You trust, you trust God and not the situation. He knew that God would come through. And so they all agreed with the rules. And I'm sure the prophets of Baal thought that they had it in the bag because they were on home, home turf. But notice that the other prophets never even showed up. The prophets of, of uh, Asherah. Maybe they had some reservations. I don't know. But in verse 25 it says, Now Elijah said to the prophets, of Baal. Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. There was no voice. No, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And then, and when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering in the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. What a, what a commentary. Man, oh man. He, he gave him first dibs. He's like, get the best bull, get the best wood, get whatever you want. And I'm sure that these guys are going, hey man, God, or, or Baal is the God of, of, of rain, and, and, and when he brings rain, sometimes he brings lightning, so there's a fire. He's like, man, no brainer, man. He says, okay, well, you take your time. Call upon your God. And so they begin to call. And I love the fact that he says, from morning till noon, but there was no voice. No one answered. And they got a little frantic <laughs> as time went on. They began to, to do crazier stuff. And some of us have watched those National Geographic things, you know, on TV where these guys, man, they're like mutilating themselves to their gods. It's like, man, what a waste. You're spilling your blood. It means nothing because no one's, no one's home. No one's answering. And I love the fact that, that Elijah mocked them. And I thought, man, that's a righteous mocking. 
You know, it, it, it's almost like because the sarcasm here, man, it's like, hey, we kind of do that to one another around here. We kind of make fun of a lot of stuff. Maybe we shouldn't, but hey, it's biblical. In some instances, to mock, be sarcastic. Because he says, cry aloud. Maybe you got to cry a little louder. Maybe, maybe you got to say it a little louder. Maybe he's meditating. Mm, yeah, probably. Maybe he's busy. And it's interesting because busy means maybe he's on the bathroom or in the bathroom. He's on the throne, basically. That's what it means. And that's what he's like. And I just have to laugh. Because it's like guys always make fart jokes. Or poop jokes. Or whatever jokes like that, right? It's like, hey, maybe your God is in the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he's on a journey. Because the, the Phoenicians, they thought that when, when their soldiers or their sailors went out to out to see that Baal went with them. I guess he can't be in two places at one time. Maybe some guys went out fishing and he's with them. He's, they went on a journey. Or maybe he's just asleep. And you need to go wake him up. And I just love this. I really do. Not just the mocking. I, I love the mocking. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But the fact that our God... Our God, he, he never sleeps or slumbers, the Bible tells us. He's never too busy in any, in any way. He's never. He's always thinking about us. Huh. He's never too far away from us. And yet, here we see that their God, because he is an idol... Because he is a, a figment of their imagination. Can't do nothing for them. Nothing. And these guys are pouring out their own blood. And they're getting frantic and hysterical. And they're doing this all day long. And they just can't seem to make it happen. And they're on home turf. Huh, imagine that. Then in verse 30 it says, Then, Eli then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seeds of water, of, of seeds. And he put the wood in order. He cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water. And pour it on the burnt offering, on the burnt sacrifice, on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And it filled, also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice 
that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that you are the God, the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt, uh, burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. My, oh my. One against 140 or 450. And these guys have been at it all day long. And Elijah, he sets his, his little thing together. And, and even though there's a drought, man, he goes, go find me some water whether they went down to the ocean or whether they, they had some water, however they got it. But it's a bad situation, but he's going, hey, I need some water. <laughs> Go find me whatever you've got. And making the, the calculations there, it's, it's like three and a half, or three, three, a little over three gallons of water. I don't know, three different times, whatever it was. But they wet the wood and the sacrifice and all. And, and now I'm thinking, are you just taunting them now? now? Because again, I kind of like that. Here, go give me some water. Let's just put some more water on there. Do it again. Do it. Go give me another one. Why not? Let's just show them who God is. And he does this. And as he prepares for the final part, he doesn't scream. He doesn't yell. He doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't pray in King James either, I don't think. He doesn't make it flowery. He just says, Hear me, O oh Lord, hear me. That's all I'm asking, Lord. You're the God. You're, 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 you're the one, the God of Israel, and all I am is your servant. And he doesn't have any frill or any fluff, anything like that. And once he prays about these people and says, Lord, show them that you are turning their hearts back to you. It says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And not only that, it consumed the, the wood. And not only that, it consumed the stones. I mean, it's just like... <clears throat> and it leapt, leapt up the water and all of that. And it's like, there's just probably a little hole there, a little smoldering, whatever. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Can you imagine... Can you imagine all the, the, there must have been hundreds of people there. All the blood that, that is just all over the place from all the prophets who are still like, literally a flesh wound. You know, it's just like, there's all kinds of blood, there's all kinds of, it's like, what's going on? And yet the people fall down and they say, he is God. The God of Israel showed up. The God of Israel is the one that's alive. 
The God of Israel is the one that hears the cries of his people. He never stops their, his ears. He never turns his back. He's never too busy. And so here, Elijah, he just bold, with boldness, knew that God would come through. Why is that? Because he knew his God. He knew the God that he stood before. Why? Because he spent time standing before his God. He understood that he is the God that rules and reigns and is alive. That he's not a figment of anybody's imagination. He's the God who cares. And he showed up that day. And at the end, he calls for these guys to be executed according to Leviticus or, or Deuteronomy. In verse 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went and looked, went up and looked and said, Is there anything? Uh, there is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, a small, as small as a man's hands, rising up out of the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now what's interesting here is the fact that, they, that, that Elijah prays seven times and you're going, well, wait a minute. He just prayed once over here and the fire came down from heaven. Why does he now have to pray seven times before, before he, God answers his prayers? Like, I don't know. But this I do know, <laughs> that God's unpredictable when it comes to, to stuff like that. Because if God would do something the same way, the same the same way twice, we would patent it. And we say, that's the way it has to be done all the time. And so here we see that he just prays once. He just like humbly says, hey, Lord, hey, man, fire, boom, done. Other times he's praying, going, okay, Lord, send the rain. Go check. Nothing, 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 nothing. He says, hey, there's a, there's a cloud. It's about that big. He says, go tell, go tell Ahab the rain's coming. The promise. Once again, comes through. And he gives Elijah this supernatural speed that he outruns a chariot over to Jezreel and meets up with him. And then we'll pick up the, the next week. But let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for these kinds of stories, Lord God. These things that just show us who you are. Father, as we look at, at a man like Obadiah who was just faithful to his boss, Lord. You put him in that position, Lord God, to be a light in that palace, Lord, even though there was people that wanted to get rid of him. Lord, to, to, to see a man like Ahab, Lord God, who gets humbled 
through this whole thing. I see a man like Elijah who just trusted you, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord God. Many of us are in different situations, Lord. You've put us in different situations, different positions. Help us to be faithful to you and to trust you, Lord, for all that you say and for all that you do. Remind us, Lord God, not just of the commandments that you give us, but of the promises that you give us as well. We bless your holy name and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.